and welcome to the Thinking Not Podcast. Om Cap and Om joined by my good friend and the person who finally convinced me to try meditation, Charles, or as I affectionately call him, Yogi Barely. If you haven't guessed, Charlie, we're going to be exploring meditation today. How does that topic feel to you? I simply don't know what to think. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to say you were at peace with that. In this episode, we're going to talk about our own personal experiences with meditation, how we use it, when we do it, what we've gotten from the practice. I am a relative newcomer to meditation, Charlie, but have been amazed at how it's helped me, some of the benefits that I've seen from it. How long have you been meditating? Probably more than 40 years. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I look well, mind you. Well, it's, yeah, it is Uh, always a practice. It seems uh, like it is. (laughs) And it is uh, something like, like exercising. If I don't use it, it doesn't like stay in the same state of readiness as uh, if I use it regularly. It is a, a practice that develops a centeredness about my existence that doesn't involve me understanding that I belong, accepting that I belong and finding that place of stillness where everything belongs, even me. Hmm. Good. Well, I will look forward to getting into all of that in just a moment. So sounds like you're ready to sink into the topic. Listeners, if you're ready, then let's take a couple of deep cleansing breaths. Then let's grab a cup of coffee and chat. The Thinking Knot is a podcast developed to help those who are trying to become better, a little bit better today than yesterday. It is an honest dialogue about the real-life challenges we each encounter as intention meets obstacle in the course of an every day. In our conversation, we weigh rational thought against our gut feeling of what is right, and we forge a path together using what is in our hearts, if we can all just awaken and get into rhythm with that beat. Thanks for joining today's discussion. So, Charlie, I've thought about meditation for years as a stress reliever. There is something that always stopped me from undertaking the practice of it. And you finally convinced me to try. And so I I started and then I stopped. But eventually I committed to it as a habit. And it really has become a part of my daily ritual. I've gotten a lot out of it. And so I look forward to talking to you about that today and exploring some of the things that uh, you've seen from your 40 plus years of practice of it. But real quickly, I want to share... Uh, a personal experience with meditation right out of the gate because it speaks to why I hesitated to believe that there were all of the benefits that I've seen from it um, before I actually experienced them myself. So I've told you this before, but I was doing a guided walking meditation where you very slowly and deliberately walk along about a 10-foot path. And as you are walking, you very slowly pick up one foot and notice all of the movement and deliberately place it down before you pick up your other foot. And along that 
process or during that process, you're really noticing how the foot moves, how the joints work, how the toes flex and how you're rooted to the ground, how your balance combines with that that movement and all the hundreds of little adjustments and, and things that have to take place in that simple and unnoticed action. And so as I was doing this, I started to have this really deep focus on the movement itself and notice things that I have never noticed before uh, in, you know, just out walking in a, a general day. And I became filled with gratitude for the design of our body and filled with awe at how a beautifully complex design can go unnoticed because of the simplicity and the commonness of the action. We're so used to it that we don't pay attention to it. And it was at that very moment that I saw myself as a hippie saying, far out, dude, my foot is like so awesome, right? And, and, and I realized that it was that meditation hurdle that I had been fighting all this time. I grew up as a 60s child, and there's this whole effort back there by one generation to paint the younger generation as silly and, and feckless. You know, you had the greatest generation who had come through a war that, that they had won, and here we were struggling, making a mess out of Vietnam. And that whole counterculture movement, that whole hippie movement was just laughed at and depicted as silly or unrealistic. And meditation was a part of that as I was growing up. So, you know, I was seeing all this messaging out there about, you know, it was just something that was silly. And so I resisted it for a long time because it was out there. And I came to find out once I really started practicing it mindfully that uh, it does have a lot of benefits. And science over the years has proven this. I mean, there have been studies that have been done that show there are physical benefits to meditation. Uh, but I personally have been much more excited about some of the mental benefits that, that I've seen. What, what has some of your experience been in your 40 plus year? Well, first of all, tell me, why did you start at 40 plus years ago? I seem to have been a, a natural born seeker. So uh, I tried looking around at what people believed in, what people practiced um, by way of uh, bringing direction, meaning, value, relief, uh, meditation. I didn't think was necessarily a vacation from life. I thought it was an, an adaptation to our reactions to life. One of my reactions in the Western mind, uh, this is hemispheres and please, like I'm, I'm probably Eastern to some Western person and Western to some Eastern person. So I don't know who, where I am. I'm just saying my particular educational and cultural background was more restrictive and proscriptive 
than it was open-ended and seeking harmony and balance and centeredness. I was seeking to make it rain. I was seeking to, you know, bring home the goods. Bring home bacon anymore, it's bad for our health. <laughs> but, but, you know, I was a seeker-gatherer, That, but I didn't want to seek that. I was seeking something else. That was my problem, not yours. And it caused me a lot of problems because when I sought uh, deeper, not just the uh, sur surface answers that were given to me, um, when I sought, okay, yeah, but what about, and I would ask the follow-up question or the um, more open-ended probing question, not challenging, just like, seriously, I'm curious, like, what about this? And, and what about that? I was met with uh, resistance. I was met with uh, this information is on a need to know basis. You don't need to know. You will lose your faith if you start to examine it too closely, is what I was told. Interesting. Because they told me that faith wasn't a reason to think. There was a thing called a leap. Where I go from what I think I know to somewhere else that is time-tested, true, and still inexplicable. We know it exists because it moves us to act. And I can't tell you what that is that moves me to act in your direction for your benefit, not for mine. Historically, we have called that love. When I do something, I extend something that you didn't ask me to do. It's not obligated by me to do. If I didn't do it, you wouldn't think I was a jerk. But I did something that was a plus. Didn't have to. I wasn't that considerate or wasn't that noticing. Didn't somebody seem to care more than just what was going on in their life? They cared what was also going on in mine. And again, historically, we don't know what to call that because it doesn't make any sense. Except if I don't do that, I don't feel like I'm being true to myself. Like if I see you in trouble or I see you stuck or I see you struggling and I don't care, that seems unnatural to me. I, I, I just don't want to live and that's, like that. And that's the way you've felt right. forever. From, from early as I can ever remember. It's like your trouble is not my ha-ha, look what happened to you. No, it's like, oh, man, what's going on? How do you feel? What hurts? So it didn't matter if it was on the school ground, playground, or in a classroom when somebody was struggling with an answer, or a teacher who just had an unruly student. We all know that caring just does what caring is prompted to do. And when you follow that prompting, you may not always come across as caring as you thought you might. And then you get corrected, backslash, criticized. 
backslash judged. Okay. So all of my life, I have been meditating to try to get into the stillness of what that feeling is. And why I'm so good at messing it up, trying to get it out. Hmm. So I get quiet and ask. I don't think about it. I just ask, what's blocking me? I know what I'm trying to express and share with you. And it's not coming across. And in the goodness of my heart, and in the goodness of yours, by the way, we think it's something we could do better. Sure. And what do we start to do? We start to think about it, mostly, because thinking yeah. is my problem solver. Yep. In, other, in all the other areas of my life, or in most other areas of my life, that don't have to deal with feeling. My thinker is an okay problem solver. It gives me probabilities. It gives me likelihoods. It gives me strategies. But when it comes to what I'm feeling, my thinker is at best a projector or a recaller. And if I'm recalling all the times that this didn't go well, I'm going to hesitate in the moment. If I recall how hard I've tried and I'm still willing to try, I may make another mistake, but I'm going to make it in the direction of caring. Every mistake that I've ever made in the direction of not caring, I've regretted. I've, I've felt poorly about myself for. And I've asked myself to try again, try to do better, don't hold back, don't overwhelm. I'm not trying to bowl anybody over. I'm not like Mr. Positivity and, you know, get you up and get you rah-rahed. No, that's not my job. But my job is to believe in the goodness in you. And if that needs a little encouragement, I can do that. And if that needs a little Mm, push. I can push gently. I call it inviting. Sometimes it feels like a push. But I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. I'm trying to say, hey, you have a choice here. And many times, my thinking is a process of eliminating choices. Tried that, didn't work. Tried that, didn't work. Tried that, didn't work. And I don't know what else to try. I'm the proverbial painter who's in the corner. Because everything I thought to try, I have tried already, and it didn't work. So I think that it must be me. Yeah. Yep. We take it on, right? We take it on. A good-hearted person takes it on. A very insecure person starts to blame everyone else. You guys are doing this to me. I feel so confused, and I'm so scared because you guys aren't listening to me. You guys don't care enough about me to see how scared I am in the corner. So I'm going to come out swinging. I'll make you pay attention to me. So caring people, sometimes when they go up to somebody who's in the corner, they're going to swing at you first because they don't realize that you're not swinging at them. Or Yep. So this is how I've learned to have compassion. You use that word and it's very Important. I have compassion for them because I've been in corners myself. 
and I know how threatening anything coming at me can seem when I'm in a corner. Boxed. I'm confused. I really suspect that I'm going to be punished. I really do, because that's kind of what I've been told to anticipate. I learned it in my family of origin. When I make a mistake, I get punished. I learned it in my religion of birth. Uh, when I make a mistake, there is some serious consequences. <laughs> that be, yeah. Maybe not right now, <laughs> but just wait. And so I live in dread of making that one big mistake that costs me the rest of my eternity. That's a lot of pressure to try to be, you know, good or right or on the right side of things at the moment of my death so that, oh, at least I said I was sorry. You know, one sorry cures all. Mm, not for a life filled with sorrow. Doesn't cure me. So I, I want to meditate, to get to a place where I can sit with knowing that loving in this world is going to be a challenge. So it, it sounds to me like what you're doing in meditation, and, and I'm a complete novice at this, mm -hmm. have not been doing it mm -hmm. for, you know, I've done it for several months, but it sounds to me like what you're doing is meditating about something specifically. Like I, I'm still doing guided meditations where I pick topics that I feel like I need that day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're taking this topic of caring and, and love and just really getting down in there with it and using that one kind of guiding emotion to feel your way around situations in your meditation. Is that accurate? It, it is, yes. So without being too wishy-washy here, that's accurate. The intention of sitting with that feeling of wanting, of caring, wanting to be helpful, of caring, but helping myself too to feel what this is so that I'm, my desire to love you isn't a recipe for a constant heartache. I don't want to live my life feeling thwarted or unrequited. And that's not what I feel meditation brings me to. It brings me to a place of acceptance that everyone is on their path. Everyone. And there's no uh, ahead or behind. There's uh, fuller and more satisfying and and uh, and maybe warmer, like gentler, kinder. And then there's harder and brittler and confusinger and and, and stucker, stucker. And so there's there's options. My you spoke to um, the hippy dippy of the, uh, but th there was confirmation bias. You. you uh, were led to believe by 
Absolutely. People around, were you the milieu or the tribe you were hanging with or the whatever, and you were fed, you know, the uh, general overview of how we look at this. This is well. It's every. It was. It was constant in in my memory, right. and my memory is very faulty. But in my memory, you know, you'd watch what back then, you know, that you had your weekly variety shows and they'd make fun of it on the weekly variety shows and you would see news and, you know, it, it might not make fun of it on the news, but you could tell that they weren't necessarily supportive of it either. And it was a time where norms were not just being challenged. We saw them for being phony. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, absolutely. And that was... I don't want to get into a well a history lesson, but you know you do. You come out of the the time of the greatest generation and everyone working together for that. And that period in the '60s was really the first time where we said, "Wait a minute! Just because you say it's so doesn't mean it's so." Correct. Again, without history being uh, our expert so to speak. I do have uh, the comprehensive overview of the of the two wars that happened within close uh, years, decades apart, the WW1 and WW2. And they, uh, they talk about, you know, the greatest generation and how the people who fought so valiantly for what they considered to be democracy and freedom and equality against oppression and suppression and yetta, yetta, yetta. Um, they saw so much unspeakables during that conflict, day after day. This, this was brutal oh, street yeah. and, 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 and this was scorched earth. This is Putin's type of fighting. This is where he learned it or read about it or dreamt about it or whatever. And he's never done it, mind you, but he's got people out there doing it. My point here is that when they came back, our guys came back, they didn't want to talk about because everything that they had thought got blown out of the water. They just don't know who they are anymore. So they just... Came back and buckled down. They wanted to go to college and they wanted to get a sane, secure, predictable, good life going here. They feel like they earned it after the hell. I understand that completely. So they tried to button it down, cookie cutter it. They built suburbia. They built organized goodness as best they could because everything else had been chaos and torn to shit. So they've come back here and did that, and and then we realize, oh, we're, we're into another war, right in Korea, and then we're into another war, right into Vietnam. And oh, by the way, those horrible, horrible, horrible Nazi people, if we could use them in our programs, we would take them over here in our programs as rocket scientists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anything that we could utilize, their, their association was sanitized. Yep. And that is what makes it all phony. That's what just makes us like, oh, Jesus, we're as bad as everyone else. What did we do? So all of this comes home to roost, so to speak, where we, we ferment on all of this. 
and it's coming out now. That's what it's supposed to happen. This, this uh, mission statement of our Constitution, this idealized aspirational document, we realize we actually have to try to make it happen. It was not happening when it was written, and our history was our combined union together trying to make it more perfect. We didn't say it started out perfect, so don't mess it up. Said, this is what we're striving towards. Let's keep trying to make this more perfect union. And I thought, and we thought, that that's what we were doing for a very long time. It turns out, only some of us were. It's very clear now who wants to make a more equal and functional well, healthy union than those who perhaps want to keep it the old way because it serves their short-term purposes. Yep. So we've gotten off the, uh, well, the topic of meditation, but it uh, has been a, a fascinating journey. Honestly, when I drop into the stillness where I don't think and I ask, what is going on here? And I get quiet. I don't think about it. I just feel like what's moving underneath the radar of my awareness. What are the global feelings of what's surfacing and what's shifting? I find that in meditation. I can't think my way to sensing what's really afoot here. But I, f I sense that we're at a tipping point. I sense that good people need to stand up and just claim their goodness. Don't knock anybody else down. Just start acting like you really care the way you really do and don't be afraid about it. Just do it. When you care for somebody who doesn't look like they care for you, they start to look at you differently. Not necessarily right away. They may say a lot of things first, thinking that you might be passive or a weak person. But goodness knows it's not weak. It just has to wait out the initial test. Do we really mean it? Will you really not hit me back when I say a mean thing to you? You just look at me and say, tell me more about how that feels. Why did you say that? Because I can be mean, but I wasn't trying to be. So help me to see what was mean about what I'm doing. That engenders a conversation as opposed to a conflict. So I know that, and we touched on this a moment ago, but I know there are different types of meditation, uh, many different types. As a beginner, I've really appreciated the guided meditations, uh, and you introduced me to an app called FitMind, which, uh, again, we have no commercial endeavors here, so uh, it, we're just being honest about what we've tried and used, and and I personally have loved that particular app. Um, so do you think that Something like that with guided meditation, for those that may not have tried or started meditation yet, do you think that that's the best way in for people who are just getting into it? I have used every way that I know is out there to get people interested. If this is one of the ways, 
sure. If a book is a way, I have books I can recommend. If you just want to start trying it, we can start trying it. So there's no wrong way to say to yourself, I would like to consider that I am not my thoughts. I would like to consider that behind all of my thoughts, and I have identified myself with my thoughts for so long, not knowing that there was a distinction between mm -hmm. what I'm thinking and who I actually am as mm -hmm. a person, that my thoughts tell myself, if you don't listen to me, you won't know who you are. And that's why I meditate, because that's a falsehood. And this was enlightening to me uh, during the short time that I've been doing meditation to understand that that voice in my head, that person talking to me inside of me is not really me. It's this amalgam of all of these influences and other people and media and everything else that I have built into a perhaps perception of who I should be versus who I really am. Mm. I call it a committee. I wish I had just one judge up there. Uh, I have uh, probably 15 people with different ways of looking at a single moment in my life. And I could say, well, which one of you wants to speak up first? <laughs> <laughs> and I have to listen to them all, even though I I know what angry voice is going to say. I know what selfish voice is going to say, but I don't want to kick them off the committee. They're part of what my humanity is. So I go, go ahead, tell me what the most selfish thing here I could say is. And they give me an idea and I go, yeah, that was pretty good, but I don't think I'll use that one. Anybody else got <laughs> something else? So, so rather than fighting down bad thoughts, because I don't know what a bad thought is. I know what selfish thought is. And I can be selfish and still be lovable. I know what a fear-based thought is or a, a sentence or an action. And I can be fearful and still be lovable. Very imperfect in that moment, but very understandable if somebody wants to love me. Or they can say, you scaredy cat, and try to criticize me into something. And that's not going to work either. So my meditation has opened up to me, the plethora of influences that want to grab my attention in any given moment. Feelings that want to say, hey, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. Remember this. And I keep feeling my way. Okay, but what's the predominant intention here? That's what I call my compass. My intention is to be kind and honest and caring. After all those voices chirp, I go, okay, thanks for your input. Then I go and get meditative and I sit down and feel for what would feel. Now, in the moment of a conversation such as this one, I have to do that on the fly. Right. I have to be versed. In what's popping up in me as we speak so that I can move in the direction of what would be a loving way to articulate the question you just asked. But, and, and that's part of the benefit of meditation is by 
reflecting on that intention mm -hmm. that you want to respond in a caring is more at the front of your mind and i know mm -hmm. you're going to it's okay but so you're more likely to respond with the intention that you want to respond with mm -hmm. rather than letting your lizard brain or whatever or your conditioned response or your conditioned response your patterned response i don't know what else to say when they say that that's me painted in a corner mentally. And that's where people would come to me when they were stuck. Like, tell me what to say in this situation. And I'll say, well, let's get a little context here first. I mean, you just don't want a line to drop on somebody. You want a understanding to try to express to somebody. So let's yeah, talk the, about the context yeah, of what and that a, is. A, a way to a filter so to speak, to approach it through, mm -hmm. right? You want to approach it from a kind and caring place. Right. Well, as attitude is a, a, a flight term too, it's called angle of approach. And so when we talk about attitude, I use that visual. It's like, what is your angle of approach? Too, too gentle and you won't really ever land. <laughs> right too steep and all you ever do is crash. So somewhere there's an angle of approach. I have to learn how to fly. Moments as they open up, like going through clouds, I fly through the objections and the, cause I know where we're headed. We're headed towards, you want to get to love. So do I. You want to get unstuck. I want to help you get unstuck. So we fly through these cloudy objections and these foggy notions, and we just get a little clearer. And you just keep saying, wow, things are clearing up as we talk, aren't they? What are you doing? I say, I'm not doing anything. We're just getting through the clouds. Showing you the way to a sunny day. Right. <laughs> a right. cloudless sky. Right. Right. Or you can stop right here and there are no clouds that are going to come and block you. And that's what meditation does. It's not me moving through my day. It's me sitting in the sunshine of my spirit and letting it nurture me, warm me, and connect me. All without a thought. That's great. When I first started meditating, and again, you know, preconceived notions being what they are, I thought meditation was really all about calming yourself down and de-stressing. And that, you know, when I was working, I thought stress is helping me. Why would I want to de-stress? <laughs> little did I, little did I know, but there are times certainly where it does that, where it calms you and, and de-stresses you. But what really surprised me is how much it helped with my ability to focus, especially early on, um, the ability to focus, it, my focus had gotten really bad, both with the pandemic and with retirement. And I felt like I was bouncing here and there. And uh, so the focus part of it really helped. But it's also helped with the self-reflection, which to me is an important part of growth. Um, you know, as I seek to become a better person and become more aware and connect more with people around me. Uh, that 
reflection helps me to understand what's blocking me and ways that I can make some of those connections. Uh, it's quieted the voice in my head, not certainly not completely, but it has helped quiet the voice in my head and helped me to understand where that voice at least partially comes from. Uh, it has opened my mind certainly to gratitude and to a willingness to accept the unknown. So I don't know how any of those things fit. I know that what you've talked about today is a lot about uh, the setting the intention to approach life in a caring and kind way and to explore how, if you have that intention, how you might think about or respond to certain things, um, examine events that have happened. But is there any particular reason that you recommend meditation to people or does it vary by by the person? I really don't recommend it until they ask me about it. Really? Yeah. Because uh, I'm trying to remember how you came to recommend it to me. And oh, I, I just knew I just knew that if uh, if you had the words to to use, mm -hmm. you would ask me, how do I stop this monster thinking? Okay. How do, how do I, because I could tell that you were, you had an inner critic that was relentless. Yeah. I, to some degree, I still do. It's, it's not as bad, but yeah, absolutely. It's, and it was crippling. When I say relentless, I could just see how hard it held you back, how much it, it stopped you from finding joy and relief in the goodness that is your life. You, you still felt like you couldn't do enough, couldn't, 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 couldn't. No matter how hard you tried, no matter what you did, you still couldn't quite get to the place of, ah, this is good. This is good enough. Because you always said, yeah, but I could have done it better. Yeah. Or I'll do it better next time. Well, you, you begin this podcast hitting that word better with a certain tone that is enthusiastic and optimistic. Whereas you approach your learning as, I got to do better. And I want to go, I want to do a little better. <laughs> as, and, and so one is, is like, okay. And the other is, oh, there's going to be more. One is an Eeyore. Yep. In tone and approach. And one is, son of a gun. I thought this was going to be like, Boring or difficult or airy fairy, ooey gooey, mamsy pamsy feelings, nothing more than feelings. <laughs> and meditation is beyond that. Meditation is beyond even feeling. It takes me to a place where nothing is wrong, except as Shakespeare said, my thinking makes it so. So in the place of meditation, and I have a bumper sticker for that, by the way, <laughs> you know what it is. Meditation, it's not what you think. <laughs> yeah. So I also have that for free will. Free will. You have a choice. <laughs> so I play. I play with, with truths as much as anything else, but I never play with love. My 
intention here about meditation is to say if if you need guided meditation because your brain just won't calm down, just won't let you be quiet, I understand. If you start to meditate and you fall asleep, yep, about 40% of us do. At least for the first six months we're trying this. We just fall asleep. And I'm going to tell you a very human reason why. Only time we stop thinking in our natural Western world is when we're about ready to fall asleep. Okay. We give ourselves permission to stop thinking. It it transfers into dreams, don't get me wrong, or it transfers into a very restless night because my thinking will not stop. Right. It will not listen to my request. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's an unruly brat. That's what I have to contend with. I have to have a relationship with that thinking facet of my humanity that allows me to address it without condemning it. Allows me to see how it's limiting me without blaming it. Just have to say, oh, you're not very good in these other realms. You're really good over here. And I love you for that. Just love you. But the minute I go into someplace unknown, you say, let me explain it to you. Or you better wait. I'll think about what it might be out there first. And so I sit here twiddling my thumbs as a a soul that would like to know more about soulness. And you're saying, if I can't explain it to you, you can't go out there. Could be dangerous. You could die. And I, my spirit says, I'm dying sitting here. I'm, I'm, I'm fallow. I'm not growing. I'm just waiting for you to, what, take care of every fear that could ever possibly happen? <laughs> You've had thousands of years, dude. All you do is just keep coming up with more things to be afraid of. I think you want to keep me here, stuck in fear with you. I believe I'm more than that. I think you don't want me to think that. Hmm. So tell me, Charlie, some kind of personal experience that you've had during meditation, um, you know, something that you feel comfortable sharing with, with people uh, so that we can see how it's, how it's helped you. Uh, I, Right. This is this is Cap asking for a real-life example, and then I'll share one for you. All right. The real-life example I can give you is when I first started to meditate. The example is that there was such a panic internally when I said, I don't know what this is, but we're going to practice not thinking. And those two words, not thinking, set off alarm bells in me that said, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not possible. And I thought about that. Like, why is that not possible? And I spent a lot of time thinking about why is thinking not possible? That was like the first two or three years of meditating. I just thought about thinking and why I can't stop thinking. I got exhausted. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) I got exhausted. But the exhaustion was the, the thing that got me to slow down. 
I got so tired of chasing these thoughts around that I said, what if I just let them all just fall? Just, just drop them all. And I didn't realize that the point of exhaustion was actually the point of my breakthrough. And to the next level, began with defeat. Exhaustion. I'd run out of energy of trying to stop thinking about not thinking or not thinking about thinking and boom. It's, and I'm sorry to interrupt no, you. No, no, you didn't interrupt. I just had to go, wow, I just I had a bad flashback there. <laughs> and there, no drugs are involved, folks. No, I had to laugh because we uh, were, my wife and I were talking about meditation and she used words similar to that to explain why she's almost scared to try it because, uh, you know, uh, she feels like she'd just fail at it. Okay. And so, yeah, I'm going to have her listen to this podcast and hear that you failed for two years at it oh, before you. Gloriously. <laughs> gloriously. There was not a brick wall I didn't run into in my thinking, trying to figure out how to not think. Nope, that's still thinking. Nope, that's still thinking. Nope, that's still thinking. Holy mackerel. I had a very flat face for a while. <laughs> but I learned. Not because I was smart, but because I just got, I got tired of not making any progress the way I was trying to make progress. And then I applied that way of learning towards spirituality. I kept trying to think my way towards spirituality and it kept not yielding to that thought process any more than not thinking yielded to thinking. So I said, oh, there are certain realms where my thoughts just don't go. They're useless. But they're important to me as a human being. They're not negligible to me as a going concern. They're like almost like the most important thing. These other things I can't explain. I'm willing to die for them. I'm not willing to die for many things, I think. I'm willing to die for some of these things I feel. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to die for my dog. Don't So don't flatter yourself. But I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I would willingly put myself in harm's way for another life form. Just because. Yeah. My dog would run out and try to protect me just because. I don't understand that, but I just know he would. Now, I didn't train him to do that. Did we train him over 100,000 million years? I don't know. You tell me. I just know my dog does something that I can't explain and he can't explain. I know he's going to do it. And that's how I am with going to help somebody. I can't explain it. So, so my personal experience was doing it poorly was as important as me telling myself I was doing it really well. I think I'm doing it well. I'm not really going to change. I'm going to keep doing it that way because it works. But I have discovered that meditation has levels. Of course it has levels. Everything we've discovered has levels. So I get to video games are a great illustration of levels. And we know that there are secret trap doors and, and ways to get extra energies and ways to go, oh, I just got killed. Um, 
and you reset, you relearn, and you try it again. My spirit is that resilient. Every day, I put in my quarter, and I go play this game of love. For real, in the real, real, I go out there and do my level best. And some days I get to levels I never even knew existed, and some days I can't get past square one. Yep. And it's still a good day. Great. So now after hearing that, I am less willing to share my my <laughs> example because I know I am at uh, level one here, but I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe this will help somebody who has never tried meditation before. Uh, so sometimes after I meditate, I, I will journal because mm -hmm. I want to record how it went and what some of the thoughts and reflections were that I had so that I can uh, kind of relive them or uh, dive deeper into them later. So my personal example of how I've used meditation to gain some some insight, and I'm going to read a little bit from my uh, my actual journaling here. But the meditation was on relishing, which is a meditation about developing positive thoughts to counter some of the negative programming we're subjected to, or I suppose that we subject ourselves to. And so, in this meditation, you look around your environment and you find a couple of things that make you feel good. And it could be a picture or a smell of honeysuckle, the warmth of the sun. And then you start to sink into that feeling and explore what gives you comfort from all of that and what it connects to. So I was sitting on my front porch. It was about 830 in the morning. And at that this time of year, the sun is directly to my left and it's low enough to kind of wash in under the, the roof of the porch. And it was a cool morning, so I appreciated the warmth of the sun on, on my body. Uh, the birds, the butterflies, the bunnies were all very active in the yard, and I loved the abundance of life that surrounded me. The songs of the birds, the activity as they set about their morning ritual like I had with my own. And then I looked at the flowers in the front yard and the shades of pink and purple and fuchsia and appreciated the vibrancy of the colors and the life and regrowth of the plants that we had been nurturing for years, how they come back this time of year, every year. I noticed the breeze that shook loose some of the maple seedlings, causing them to helicopter to the ground, uh, this cyclical dance of procreation, the and we've talked about all the little seedlings in my front yard. And as I sank into that feeling of happiness and gratitude and explored it further, I became calm with the understanding that all of this that I am noticing happens without me doing a thing. That nature works. And it doesn't require me to do anything except maybe not mess it up. <laughs> and and all, all we have to do is let it do its thing and not hurt it. And so I momentarily, as uh, I know, Charlie, you'll um, 
nod in recognition of this because you would expect it of me, but I momentarily had a thought of tornado and hurricane and how nature isn't always just beneficial. And rather than let that thought of negativity ruin this image that I had going on of abundant life and natural order, I I realized that those events are responses to our interference with nature in some cases, to the harmful things that we're doing to the environment, but also that they're a necessary part of the rebirth and regrowth in, in many cases. I mean, we've all seen areas that have been hit by forest fires and what happens a year later. And so, you know, I started settling back into to this and something kind of interesting happened. As I started feeling for connections to other things, the idea suddenly popped into my mind that there's an analogy between nature and relationships. And so I explored this a little bit further and I was asking myself, is this really true? Does that feel true? And what I came up with is that relationships are beautiful and have this natural progression. And the best ones just seem to work on their own. And in fact, that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have to cultivate them like the flowers in our front garden, but they aren't work, they're passion. And if we care for them, if we do our best not to hurt the other person or people, they flourish and provide. And it's, it's when we take from them without regard for the consequences when we put ourselves first that they wither and become more and more cataclysmic. So I explored that for a while and then felt for why that connection had come up to me. I'd done this particular meditation several times before, and this is the first time that that kind of thought had come up to me. And I realized that it connected to some things that were going on with some friends that I had seen recently and that I really valued that relationship and felt that I hadn't been as good a friend as I could have been when I was focused on myself and my career. And so in that moment, it kind of all connected for me. And so I I ended the meditation and um, the reflection in a way that I often do. And I I hesitate to even share this with you because I have no idea if it is the healthy thing to do or, or not healthy. But your comment about the video games uh, just kind of reinforced the the fact that I'm going to tell you this. Um, <laughs> but I wish you could see his face right now. <laughs> but the video games, when you die, you know, at, at a certain level, you get reborn into that level to to do it again. And so, one of the ways that I frequently will end a meditation is that I imagine myself being reincarnated in that moment. And I'm a different person, but I have the knowledge of my past mistakes. And so I forgive my past life for those mistakes and I commit to learning from them and then doing better in this, my next life that began at that very moment. And so like I said, I have no idea if that approach is is healthy or not healthy, but it gives me peace and it helps me to resolve to be a better person today uh, than I was in that previous life. So that's 
an example of how meditation helped me to reflect, um, grow, you know, kind of understand myself a little bit better, but also how for me, it has become a path to extreme gratitude for things that for so much of my life, I barely took time to, to notice. Uh, I was running around chasing a career that in healthcare where helped a lot of people live better lives while it nearly killed me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so just, um, you know, very grateful that I've been able to get to a point where I value this self-reflection mm -hmm. and value uh, some of the insights that it's, it's given me. So, Mm -hmm. grateful to you for oh. introducing me to it. Yeah. I wish I could say I invented this, but I didn't. Um, that's the beauty about truth. You can't copyright it, you know, and, and if something works, generally speaking, it sticks around for a long time, historically speaking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's uh, acupuncture or chiropractic, or herbal medicines, or meditation, or those things have been um, part of our human history in various uh, cultures and to various degrees because they work. They work on levels and in ways that we don't understand, and that's why we have uh, shied away from them, if not just dismiss them outright. I want proof before I try something. And life is not give me proof first. Life is you want to try or not. If you want to try, there is risk. If you don't want to try, there is risk. Oh, you mean there's, ne there's no real safe place on this planet? If I just want to hunker down and stay alive, no, we'll find you. <laughs> so we have not talked a lot about the science of meditation, and I haven't because I'm not qualified to talk about it. But I, I will mention that knowing some of the science behind it, because I am that guy, the the um, forever skeptic, uh, knowing some of, <laughs> knowing some of that. I thought you died to that old self. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Knowing that the science perhaps mentally has helped me a little bit, uh, to get over the, the hurdle. And I don't know, maybe at some point we can have somebody who's well-versed in the science come on and, and chat with us about it. But I'm just thinking, Charlie, for, for those people out there that may be skeptical like I have been in the past, maybe that's something that might get them over the edge, if all of our talking hasn't. Oh, I have one word, Google. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Seriously, if you're really interested, that information is free and available. Google. Yeah. Find out more 
by taking an action. I am not here to spoon feed you into convincing you anything. You want to feel better? Start to meditate. You want to slow down and not just fall asleep? You're going to learn how to be mindful and alert without thinking. And pay attention to more things at once, everything, kind of, and nothing at the same time. And that's holding the world very loosely in your consciousness. You're nimble, you're flexible, you're alert, you're not afraid. You're willing to take action when action is called for, and you're willing to be still when action is not called for. I've tried to catch pop flies, or uh, that's a baseball term, uh, before the ball got there, and I missed it. I tried to ride a wave before the wave actually was there, and I missed it. I tried to do lots of things before the time that it was time to do it, and of course I missed it. So meditation allows me to be alert in the moment, to the moment, so that when the opening to express and receive love appears, that's what I'm looking for. I'm seeking love. I'm finding love. I'm sharing love. And love is what changes you, not me. I touch something in you that you go, I want to know more about that. Mm -hmm. And so you Google something. You say, if these two old farts can do this, maybe old dogs can do, learn new tricks. Why not? And then life, rather than becoming stale to the bitter end, becomes, oh. Joyous. Again. Yeah. Where it was once, like this open-ended adventure. Like, oh, we're supposed to be having fun here. What happened? I have to say, I feel, I feel more like my 22-year-old self than I have ever felt in the years in between. Welcome and, home. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you, Charlie. Appreciate your, your discussion today. Ah, I love you. Likewise. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. We do this with the hope that it helps someone find a path to joy in their life, that it helps someone to forgive themselves, to find themselves, to be a friend to someone else in need. If you know people out there like that, then here's what you can do to help. Share this podcast with them, follow or subscribe, rate and review The Thinking Knot so others know to give it a try. For those who are new, you can find more of Charles's writing on his blog at owningourselves.com and more of my writing at liveforwonder.com. Thanks for listening. We hope your journey is filled with wonder and that every day you find time to meditate and be grateful for all those beautiful things we rarely have time to notice. Be good to each other.